Hello and thanks for tuning in. We begin a new eight-part series on Search for Truth today. Search for Truth Bible teaching programs have been broadcast with a new study every week for quite a few years. Today's talk will be Bible study program number 1910, which means, if you do the maths, we are well into our 37th year. Appropriate then that our subject is grandparents, biblical ones of course. For the next eight weeks, Brian's looking into the scriptures to see what lessons these Bible characters can teach us. And we begin with the grandfather who couldn't let go his bitterness. First, a bit about bitterness with Brian. Thanks, John. Yes, indeed. Someone has said bitterness or bitter resentment is like a beach ball that we try to submerge in water. No matter what we try, it bobs back up to the surface. It all starts out when an offence gets under our skin, probably because we've interpreted the offence as intentional. Like a goal scored in a televised football game, we replay it in our minds. What happens is that each time we replay it, it gets etched more vividly in our memory. Brooding on it means it's likely we'll share it freely with any sympathetic audience. Of course, when we do that, we stoke up the fire of resentment. It doesn't take long before we find ourselves cringing whenever we hear the offending person's name mentioned. We find ourselves looking for additional reasons, real or imagined, to dislike the offender. And so we end up forming successive layers of bitterness over the original irritation, something like the way an oyster does. The difference is the end result is not a thing of beauty. In his book, Lee, The Last Years, Charles Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky lady who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in front of her house. There she bitterly lamented the fact that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She looked to Lee for a word condemning the North, or at least sympathising with her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It's better to let go of injustices of the past than to allow them to remain, let bitterness take root, and so poison the rest of our life. Perhaps one man who would have benefited from such deep insight is Ahithophel, whom we encounter in the life story of King David, his name forever intertwined with the most shameful episode in David's life. At this point, I should sound a caution And it's this, that the following reconstruction depends on assuming that the same name repeated in Scripture is referring to the same person. Of course, it's quite possible that there were contemporaries having the same name. The Ahithophel I have in mind is David's counsellor, who betrayed him and joined the conspiracy of Absalom. Absalom, you remember, was the son of David who rebelled against his father and tried to take his throne. Ahithophel's wisdom was proverbial, and it seems clear that he didn't take a back seat in the rebellion against David. What could have given him the motivation for this treachery? We know Absalom's, and I'll leave you to re-familiarise yourself with that from this part of the Bible, but what motivated Ahithophel? Some suggest, and this is where the caution about his assumed identity fits in, some suggest we need look no further than to identify him as the same Ahithophel who was the grandfather of Bathsheba, for she was the daughter of Eliam. And an Eliam, the son of Ahithophel the Gileonite, is listed as one of David's mighty men. 
That's why we began today's talk with some introductory discussion about bitterness. This plausible reconstruction suggests that Ahithophel retained a certain bitterness toward David, David who was in fact the murderer of his grandson by marriage, King David being the corrupter of his granddaughter. Other people note, however, that the timing seems a little bit tight for Ahithophel to have a married granddaughter at the time of David's great sin, and so we have to recognise that it's at least as possible to believe that there was more than one man in Israel named Eliam, and it's certainly possible that Ahithophel's main ambition might just have been personal power. But if the Ahithophel, who sided with Absalom against David, is the same one who had a granddaughter with whom David committed adultery, it may be worth reminding ourselves of David's darkest days. David's downward spiral went deeper into sin, and it began like this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So 2 Samuel chapter 11 begins. That's the innocent-looking start of the downward spiral that would affect the course of the rest of David's life. There's just a hint that David shouldn't have been there at that time. David was indulging himself at home when one evening he got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof... He saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. There was nothing wrong with David walking round on the roof of his palace, as far as we know. A beautiful woman catches his eye. It's nothing more than an unintentional first glance. Still no problem. The problem was what David did with this thought. He sent someone to find out about her. The man said, Isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? At this point... Now that he's found out the woman was married to one of his soldiers, David should have dropped all further romantic thoughts about the woman. But unfortunately, he'd already allowed the temptation to gain too much strength to be easily resisted. Finally, David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. David's sin was to get a lot worse before he confessed it. He first tried to fix it. He recalled Bathsheba's husband from battle and plied him with alcohol and tried to get the man to sleep with his wife. It didn't work. So he sent him back to battle with a sealed command in his hand. David's general was to contrive to get the enemy to kill this soldier, Bathsheba's husband. The man was sent on what was in effect a suicide mission and he was killed in battle. David then took Bathsheba, now a widow, to be another of his wives. Problem solved? No. We read that all this was deeply displeasing to God. Although God forgave David when he repented, the incident wasn't forgotten, and David had to reap what he sowed. His family life was troubled after this. David had lost the moral authority to deal with incest in his own family circle. And that would lead to Absalom, one of his sons, taking matters into his own hands and eventually trying to take over the reins of power from David, his father. It would be natural for Bathsheba's grandfather to seize this opportunity to pay David back. Perhaps he felt David had seemed to get away with it. 
Ahithophel had been an advisor to David, and his advice had always seemed to be inspired. Now he turned to advise Absalom against his father, David. The strategy he proposed was for Absalom to pursue David immediately with 12,000 men, striking the king while he was still weary and underprotected. It was a call for bold action and probably was the best strategy. Absalom, however, listened to other advice. Ahithophel was not used to having his advice rejected and also perhaps realised that the cause of Absalom was lost by not following it and so he went to his home and hanged himself. A tragic death, quite possibly due to the fact that here was someone who never got over his bitterness. This shows how we can't afford to hold on to bitterness and resentment against others, because it becomes the root of other problems. The Bible says in effect, watch out for such bitterness. In fact, we're told to look diligently for it. And that implied level of scrutiny is consistent with the fact that our bitterness may not be so obvious to us and being unaware of it makes us all the more liable or susceptible to its danger. As we've illustrated in our reconstruction of the sad case of Bathsheba's grandfather, bitterness, if improperly handled, causes trouble and that can take the form of physical, mental or spiritual problems. For example, in his book, None of These Diseases, Dr. S.I. McMillan claims anger, unhandled, will show itself in at least 50 diseases. He also writes, The moment I start hating a person, I become that person's slave. I can't enjoy life. He controls my thoughts. I can't escape his or her grasp on my mind. He or she may be many miles away, but always in my mind. This leads on to how bitterness can also show up in our mental condition. It's really displaced anger. We can be angry at other things, other people and other objects without realising it all stems from some bitterness we're nursing. We experience no joy, no creativity, no positivity flowing through our lives, all because there's resentment there. We're also affected spiritually, when bitterness isn't resolved. How? It can be by an inability to accept God's love or a doubting of our relationship to God. Ray Burke has written a book called Anger, Diffusing the Bomb, and in it he says that each time he dealt with those who doubted God's love for them, somewhere along the line he discovered they harboured bitterness against God or someone else. When this was dealt with and resolved, their ability to accept God's love and forgiveness returned. What better words can we conclude with other than the words of the Bible? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and the last two verses of the chapter, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you.
If everyone tried to have the same mind as Jesus, what a different world ours would be. Once again, we have a free transcript booklet for this series. Uh, the book's available by request. And at the same time, if you've got any questions, please write in and Brian will be glad to help. We never pass on your details, so you can contact us with confidence. You can also download many of our books and talks via the internet, but the hard copy book for this series is available to you by asking for the title Grandparents. You can order by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wooten Bassett, Swindon, SN4 8DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. You might be interested to know as well that many titles of Search for Truth transcript booklets have been turned into ebooks and are available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle uh, hyphen ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find them. Time's up for today and next week Brian will be looking at another biblical grandparent, so I hope you'll be able to join us. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our singers and me, John. So cheerio and may God richly bless you. Amen.